When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Liquid bleach, liquid bleach, Clorox makes clothes bright. But what about these cloudy wine glasses? Add glass cleaner to my cart. Adding Clorox disinfecting bleach to your cart. What? No, for glassware. Clorox can also make glassware sparkle, keep flowers fresh, and remove chocolate, wine, all your usual stains. Rude. Clean anything with the versatile Clorox disinfecting bleach. Discover more hacks at Clorox.com learn. This episode is sponsored in part by Intuit. 70% of employers say recent graduates don't have the skills they need for today's jobs. That's why Intuit is helping prepare students to go from classrooms to careers. Their job readiness program helps students build financial literacy and entrepreneurial skills. Nationwide, they've helped prepare over half a million students for jobs and are on track to help 3 million more by 2024. Learn how Intuit is helping students in L.A. build a brighter future at Intuit.com slash job readiness. Picture your best day ever at Universal Studios Hollywood. From the thrills of Jurassic World, the ride, to the laughter of Illuminations, the secret life of pets, and the excitement of the Wizarding World of Harry Potter. Plus, even more mind-blowing attractions like the world-famous studio tour. Universal is always pushing the limits of absolute awesome to beyond awesome, beyond amazing, beyond anything else in L.A. Enjoy it all again and again with an annual pass. For more details, visit UniversalStudiosHollywood.com slash APFlexPay. Hey, it's Mistress Carrie reporting for duty from MCHQ for episode 107 of the Mistress Carrie podcast. And before we get to this week's guest, Pat Badger from Extreme, I want to put a quick plug in for the Mistress Carrie backstage pass on Patreon. If you're a fan of the radio show, Cocktails in the War Room, and the Mistress Carrie podcast, and you just need more Mistress Carrie in your life, get a Mistress Carrie backstage pass. You get exclusive access to photos, blogs, concert ticket giveaways, coupon codes for discounted merchandise in the official online Mistress Carrie store, travel updates, and so much more. And every month we do an exclusive live stream Q&A. Matter of fact, it's coming up this Sunday night. You can click the Patreon link at mistresscarry.com or go to patreon.com slash mistresscarry. And now to our guest this week, Pat Badger from Extreme. And Pat also started an Eagles cover band called the Dark Desert Eagles. And as you'll hear from this week's episode, he's a pretty busy guy. The Dark Desert Eagles are playing at Indian Ranch in Webster coming up this Saturday, June 25th. 
They're also playing at the Hampton Beach Casino Ballroom on July 22nd. And Extreme have got a bunch of dates, including at Indian Ranch on September 2nd, the Hampton Beach Casino Ballroom on September 3rd, and Extreme is opening up for Aerosmith at Fenway Park coming up on September 8th. Tickets for all of the shows are on sale right now, and I put the links in the show notes of this podcast to make it easy. Pat and I talked about everything while he was in traffic trying to get to Logan Airport to head to Cleveland. We talked about his upbringing and musical influences. We talked about songwriting, his farm animals, TikTok, Eddie Van Halen, where guitar tone comes from. And we even talked about Extreme appearing on the soundtrack for the latest season of Stranger Things. So allow me to introduce you to Pat Badger from Extreme. Hey, what's up? This is Sully from Godsmack. Strap on those boots, baby, because you are now in the trenches of the war room with the one and only Mistress Carrie right here on the Mistress Carrie podcast. What's up? This is Joe Rogan, and you're listening to Mistress Carrie. I have so lovely, pretty eyes. Hey, this is Brent from Shinedown, and you're listening to Mistress Carrie. Hey, Carrie, go put your brow on, girl. Hey, this is Steven Tyler, and you'll be listening to the baddest bitch in Boston, Mistress Carrie. What's up? This is Aaron from Stan. And you're listening to Mistress Carrie. Hi, everybody. This is Dave Grohl from the Blue Fighters, and you're listening to the one, the only, Mistress Carrie. Hey, this is David from the band Disturbed, and you're listening to the baddest bitch in Boston, Mistress Carrie. Hi, Bruce Dickinson here from Iron Maiden. Yes, indeed. Miss Whiplash herself, Mrs. Carrie, is here to um, unchain your brain. Hi, this is Flea from the Red Hot Chili Peppers, and you're listening to Mistress Carrie. This is Dennis Leary. You are listening to my favorite, Mistress Carrie. Hey, this is Corey from Stone Sour, and you're listening to... You have the privilege of listening to Mr. Scary. Oh, God. Oh, yeah. Mr. Badger. Mr. Scary. You are the second. How are you doing? You're the second member of Extreme that I've had on the show. Really? Who's the first? Nuno Beacha in the height of COVID. Oh, wow. All right. And it's a good thing well, that it was a podcast because he likes to say fuck a lot. <laughs> you know, I, I just saw Nuno this weekend. It was the first time Extreme has played since the pandemic started. Can you believe that? That's crazy. Yeah, we uh, we just haven't been out and about and uh, literally just played our first show out in California this past weekend. He was in the middle of COVID. That's when I talked to him. And he was like, you know, when I was a kid, all we wanted to do was not go to school and get high and we had to go to school and pot was illegal. Now pot's legal and the government's telling kids not to go to school. He's like, what the fuck? We got screwed. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. There's a lot of things that we kind of got screwed on. I mean, we didn't have internet porn back in those days. Yeah, right? And you had to work like for it back in the day. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know. So, yeah, things have changed a lot, haven't they? Yeah, seriously. Well, where did you ride out the pandemic? Now that the world is opening back up and you're you're going back out on the road, where did you hunker down through the height of the craziness? Well, pretty much in my own house. In uh, I live near Newburyport in Massachusetts. Um, and I socially distanced out on my boat in the summer. And, uh, you know, just kind of stayed home a lot. I got a small farm, so, you know, my... I wasn't afraid to be around the animals and stuff. You know, they, they just can't carry COVID. So 
um, yeah, that, that's pretty much it. I kind of just stayed home like everyone else. I got a little uh, studio on my property, so I, I ended up recording a bunch of stuff and just like kind of messing around out in the studio. That kind of kept me uh, kept me sane since there was no live shows happening. Do you still got the alpacas? I still have a couple of alpacas, and uh, I also have a donkey, got some chickens, and I have three Nubian goats that um, drive me absolutely crazy. You gotta get a TikTok for your farm. I love watching TikTok videos about people's farm animals. Oh yeah, yeah, I should. Actually, I don't even have a TikTok account. See, um, you don't I'm, have uh, to do the funny dances. You could just make videos about your animals. True. I actually should. That that would be a good TikTok. Is that where you are right now? No, I'm actually driving in the car right now. Really? You I'm, sound I'm on good. My way. Yeah, I'm on my Bluetooth in the car, and um, uh, I'm just watching the gauge, like, you know, going down to, I'm thinking of all the hundreds of dollars I'm burning in gas right now, <laughs> and uh, I'm, on my way to, I'm on my way to Logan Airport, actually. I'm going out to Cleveland. Um, uh, I got a gig tomorrow. Oh, damn. Yeah. Well, I've only had so, a few interviews where people have been in the car, including Sully. I interviewed him while he was driving to Florida. Your phone sounds way better than his. Okay, well, you know, maybe he didn't have the Bluetooth hooked up right. I don't know. I'm not going to be the one to tell Sully he's doing something wrong. Uh Uh-huh. So, you figured it out, obviously. Yeah, well, you know, I just, you know, plug the thing in and magically connects to my my stereo. So, um, yeah, no, I I think uh, your voice sounds good been so long since I've seen you. I know. I mean, it's literally been since before WAF went off the air, which I'm still, you know, two over two years later, still kind of in shock that it happened. Yeah, I know. I know. Yeah, things have changed a lot. All those old radio stations I loved are no longer in existence. And every venue we play is some corporate sponsor. And, you know, it's all that stuff. Yeah, it's just... It's- Money makes the world go around. It's just a completely different thing. But on the other side, you know, you can do really cool things like be on the Mistress Carrie podcast, which gets listened to in like 130 countries now. And the radio show is all over the country and all of the military bases and all the Navy ships. So it's pretty cool. That is amazing. Good for you. So for, so for, you know, whatever gets taken away, sometimes you get something cool in its place, you know? That is true. Yep. And having my own studio to hunker down in during the height of COVID didn't suck. So I, I totally understand what you mean, like hunkering down. I didn't have farm animals, but I had my pug, and that was good enough. You have a pug? Yeah, I've always had pugs. Yeah, her name's Wednesday. Uh, she has her own Instagram. Nice. <laughs> She doesn't have TikTok, though, but she has Instagram. Oh, nice. Is your gig in Cleveland with the Dark Desert Eagles, or are you going to play with the guys in Extreme? I actually have been uh, moonlighting playing in the third band. What? I'm juggling. Yeah, I'm juggling a lot of balls right now. So Hold um, on. Hold on. Okay, I'm just letting that joke go. I'm not even even going there. (laughs) So what's the third gig? You got a dirty... You got a dirty mind because I didn't even say it meaning it that way. I know, but but, um, but that's what I do, I, Pat. You've known me long enough to know that's what I do. <laughs> so um, besides my, you know, I've kind of entered this fun tribute world where, um, you know, it's like going back to the egg and 
and like playing the songs he grew up listening to um, and watching everyone sing every lyric because they're all like monster hits, right? So my, my buddies have a Journey tribute band, pretty much the best one in the country, called Voyage. I love them. Voyage? I love them. They're amazing. Yeah, so they, they needed someone to fill in on bass for the summer. So I said, hell yeah, I'll learn all these Journey songs. This is a blast. So I'm, I'm headed out right now to um, to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in Cleveland. We're playing at like a private event tomorrow night. That is and, insane. Uh, yeah, no, it's a lot of fun. I'm like, one day I'm playing bass in Extreme, and we just opened for Cheap Trick. And then now I'm on my way to do a Voyage gig, and then I get back, and next weekend I'm playing uh, a Dark Desert Eagles gig down in, uh, in Webster, Mass. at Indian Ranch. Yeah, that's so Saturday, June 25th. So you yeah. you got to make sure that you're not playing the wrong song with the wrong band. I got to worry that I got I, I to gotta bring a guitar instead of a bass to that gig. I, <laughs> I got to open up the case and make sure I got the right guitar in there. <laughs> it's insanity. I have so, yeah, all I'm, of your dates for the Dark Desert Eagles and for the, the extreme dates that you have coming up because you're going to be back at Indian Ranch in September with extreme. They're all in the events true. calendar at mistresscarry.com because you have a lot yeah. to keep track of. It's, it's, in, it's in, insane. In fact, the other night I played uh, a voyage gig at the Hampton Beach Casino and the guys who manage it and own the place, they came out on stage and presented me with an airbrushed baseball cap like they call it the Hampton Beach crown. And because I'm the only person that they believe has ever played the venue three times with three different bands in the same summer. <laughs> <laughs> they, they called it, yeah, they, they called it the hat trick. So, um, you know, like hat trick, obviously. So, um, yeah, I played there with Boyd's and I got a gig coming up with Dark Desert Eagles there at Hampton Beach, July 22nd, and then Extreme in September. Uh, so yeah, things things are getting pretty. This this summer is like after two years of no gigs, suddenly I said yes to everything. You know what? I think the last time I physically saw you in person, didn't we bump into each other in L.A. at a Steel Panther gig? Absolutely, that is where I saw you, isn't it? And I walk in and I'm like, "Why is Pat Badger here?" And then immediately was like, "Why wouldn't he be here? Of course he's going to be at a Steel Panther gig in L.A." Was that at the whiskey? Yes, exactly. It was their famous, album release the party. Whiskey. Yeah, yep, right. Yep. That was the last time I saw you, huh? Yeah, wow. which was a while ago. That was. I think that was maybe even before the pandemic, wasn't it? It was. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I don't even remember why I was in California. I think it was. I think we were supposed to play outdoors with Sammy Hagar out in Huntington. And that gig, like, somehow got canceled because the town didn't have the right permits or some shit like that. And then I'm like, well, I already got the plane tickets to California. Let's just go out for a couple of, you know, days. And I brought my girlfriend out to see Hollywood. She had never been there. So I said, we got to go by the, the whiskey. You got to see where, like, Van Halen got signed and where the doors used to play, you know. We and, spent uh, a lot of time going Panther. around the cemeteries and stuff. Have you ever done that? I have not. It's pretty crazy. We went and saw where Ronnie James Dio was buried. We went and saw Lemmy from Motorhead, where his ashes are interred. We went to Chris Cornell's grave. Um, wow! Yeah, it was that's pretty. Kind of a that's kind of a dark uh, kind of a dark activity for you know. 
those those Hollywood cemeteries, though, like just walking through. First of all, yeah. they're, they're gorgeous because these people had the money to for the good marble, you know. But yeah. I mean, we saw Judy Garland's like massive like grave, and it was kind of cool. Like I didn't yeah, think it was morbid, cool. and it was cool to be able to go and like pay tribute to Dio, you know, like. It was the the one that hit me the hardest was Cornell. Yeah, because that was pretty well, recent, and it was just like, oh man, like having had him on the show so many times, you know. Yeah, and anytime you know someone takes their own life like that, and it's pretty, uh, you know, it, it's tragic. It's sad, but uh, especially when you love the music so much. Yeah, you I know mean, that guy was freaking amazing. You know. But, I mean, just in the time since I saw you last, we lost Neil Peart. We lost um, Eddie, Van Eddie Van Halen. I mean, it's it's unbelievable. I know. It's it's really uh, it's really quite depressing. All the the elder statesmen, uh, rock stars, all all passing. You know, you know. In the next five, ten years, I mean, God only knows. And you know, all these guys are pushing. 70, um, you know, Paul McCartney just turned 80. Yeah. And, uh, you know, so all these guys got to be thinking about seeing the finish line, you know? Well, a lot of these artists are selling off their music catalogs to all of these publishing houses and stuff for the the big fat money, probably because they know, A, I'm not going to live much longer, and B, I can't leave this to my idiot kids. (laughs) I better cash in now. (laughs) Cash in now and spend it up. Yeah, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, no, that, that's a whole other thing. Like these, uh, Everyone's selling their publishing catalog, which is uh, it, it's crazy the money that's, that's getting thrown out there. Um, I think a lot of people don't understand, like, the different ways that artists can make money off of a song. Because... You could make some money if you cover another artist's song, but then the original artist makes money from the songwriting. Right. But the real money is if you write the song, you make the money from your version, and then other people cover it, and then they got to pay you for basically doing nothing. And and then bands figured out that, you know, that the labels were making their cut on some of these songs. They'd re-record the song so it's not the original master and cut the label out of the picture. Yeah. Taylor Swift just did that, right? Because her masters got sold. So she went in and re-recorded all the music and, and all the radio stations are now playing her versions. So the original masters that people paid hundreds of millions of dollars for, they're not even making as much money off of them as they thought. And like you said, there's different ways that uh, artists do make money. Like you have like these sync licenses. Like if your song appears in a movie or a commercial or something, I, I got a flurry of texts the other day. Hey, your song's in Stranger Things, that song Play With Me, that we put out back in 1988 or 89. Uh, suddenly, it's like in this big, huge hit TV show. And our kids thought that was really fucking cool, by the way. Have you seen Stranger <laughs> Things? The show is amazing. And the Duffer Brothers have captured the 80s in a way that I didn't think was possible. You know, I've, I've only seen the uh, episode or the part that, our song, extreme song, play with me. It was it was in the uh, it was in the first uh, show, of the, the new season. The show's so really good. Recent. I mean, it's definitely it's the, a yeah, little sci-fi and stuff, but it's really good. Yeah, everyone says that. And it's funny. I don't know if you remember uh, 
You remember the movie Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure? Of course. Yeah, so that's where the song Play With Me originally came out. It's before our first album even came out. And so it's funny that they picked that song for the, this whole 80s, uh, you know, this, this, this show, uh, Stranger Things. But, um, yeah, no, it's cool when, when shit like that just pops up and you didn't even really, it was kind of, it wasn't even on my radar. And, and I had all these texts from everyone saying that the song was in the, in the show. You got to check the show out. That's what I mean. They've they've done an amazing job. I was just talking about it because Ronnie James Dio's wife, Wendy, donated a bunch of original Dio stuff um, for the costumes in the show because she one of the guys in the show is a massive Dio fan and he wears a jean jacket with a Dio back patch. And they wanted it to uh, be stop. real. So Wendy Dio donated a bunch of real artifacts to make the show legit. Wow, that's awesome. Yeah, it's pretty cool. You got to check cool. it out. You got time to Netflix while you're flying. Oh yeah, yeah. We'll see. Yeah, <laughs> I, I just don't. I don't even know if my flight's going to take off on time or if it's even going to ever even fly these days. I mean, have you traveled much lately? I literally flying? landed from Key West last night. Yeah, so you've heard. You know, like every airport is canceling flights, postponing flights. I was supposed to take a red eye back from California this past weekend, and. It was supposed to leave at 9.30 p.m. West Coast time. I didn't get out of there till midnight. And so here I am landing at Logan at 8 a.m. on a red eye. How do you think I felt the next day? Well, first of all, you felt like crap. Second of all, you walked full-on balls into the worst traffic possible, and you're like, oh, my God, kill yeah. me. Yeah. In fact, I just, uh, I'm in traffic right now on Route 1. <laughs> and you got to... Uh, uh, you got to make sure that you bring snacks because a lot of the places in the airport still aren't open to get food. And the right. baggage handlers, there's like a baggage crisis. So you got to have, you got to have supplies in your carry on now. Oh yeah. And then you got to be patient sitting there waiting for the, uh, waiting for the, the luggage to come off the freaking belt. Yeah. I mean, it's, everything's a mess right now. Yeah. It's a little bit crazy and, I'm just grateful to be out of the house. You know what I mean? Like, I I'm trying really hard to maintain a level of patience that does not come naturally to me because I'm like, look, a, a year ago, like, nothing was open and there were no concerts, and now I'm just grateful that there's stuff to do and I can get on a plane and you don't have to wear a mask. And, like, so if I got to wait 10 extra minutes for my bag, like, I'm trying to just find my mental happy place. But you know me. That's not easy. Yeah, it's not easy for me either, but, you know, I, I try to have patience with this stuff, too. I, I, I agree with you. It's nice to be back out and playing, and, you know, um, it's it's uh, things aren't quite back to what we remembered as normal, but uh, at least it's, it's you know, it's partway there. Yeah, we're getting so, there. I mean, the, yeah. the biggest thing is, what do you take in the carry-on? Now, you've done extensive traveling for decades. You've been on tour. You're flying all over the world. Um, for people that don't travel that much, give, give me some expert tips on the perfect things to have in your carry on. Well, you know, for me, it's all about entertaining myself on the plane. So if, you know, if, if the plane doesn't have like a, a TV in the, in the seat back in front of you, I have to have like an iPad, um, or, you know, headphones, at least to listen to music and whatever. But um, I don't know. I, I don't. I really try not to bring that much stuff on board with me because for everything you you bring on, you know, you have to take out in, in those trays. And I hate like that whole routine of like 
pulling shit out of the bag and then if you, you forgot something and they flag it and then they got to pull that, you know, pull it out in front of you and embarrass you in front of everybody. <laughs> so I don't know. I, I, uh, I think it's more about what you don't bring than it is about what you bring. <laughs> <laughs> I made it when I was in Afghanistan in 2011, I got separated from my luggage and all I had was what was in my carry-ons, which was just recording equipment, computers, cameras, and I had nothing in Afghanistan for almost three days. And so I always now, no matter where I'm going, pack a change of clothes with clean socks and underwear and put it in my carry-on because I'm always so afraid I'm not going to have my yeah. luggage when I get there. There you go. And then, oh, so this brings up an interesting point. I just started doing this, and, and this is a, a little tip for everybody. If you, don't, if you have an Apple phone, get those new little Apple tag things. Have you seen these things? Yeah. Yeah, so I, I have Apple Tags now in all my bags. So I can look on my phone or on the iPad and see that my guitar has made it onto the plane or if it's, you know, on its way to the belt or if, you know, if you leave something behind, you can track it down so much easier than just wondering where the hell, what city it's in. See, that's know? the kind of pro tip I was looking for from you. That's a great idea. Yeah, yeah so I stick them in, in my suitcase. I stick them in my guitar. And then, you know, so then I at least know where all my shit is. The conversations yeah. that I've been having on the show since COVID, being able to like not worry when I'm sitting down talking to somebody about, ooh, I got to get into commercials or I got to do this because it's a podcast. I can talk as long as I want about whatever I want, which is very freeing. Um, I bet. It's, it's been really interesting talking to people about how they discovered their musical ability as a kid. So how old were you when you started playing music and what was the first instrument that you started playing way back? Cause I don't think I've ever asked you that. Well, my, uh, my older brother always played guitar and sang and, um, his name's Jim and he, uh, he always like turned me on to like a lot of the British invasion bands. He was always listening to the Beatles and the Stones and the who and all that stuff. I, I just, grew up listening to when I was a real young kid. And uh, my aunt tells me that, you know, when I was real little, she she's like, you'd know the words and sing all these songs. And um, so I think I just always had like a, you know, the exposure to that stuff. And then I started playing guitar. Um, you know, I took guitar lessons and stuff when I was maybe 10 years old. Um, then I switched to bass when I was like in middle school because, as, as silly as it is, people ask me, well, why did you pick bass? And I'm like, it was as simple as that there was a little garage band in my town and they didn't have a bass player. They needed a bass player. I'm like, I'll play bass. So I went out and bought one. And ever since then, I just stuck with it. <laughs> well, sometimes so, you need a gig. Yeah. And if that's the band that's and that's it. what they need, then that's what you got to do. And, and in hindsight, you know, for every 50 or 100 guitar players, there's only one bass player. So you'll always have a gig if you're a bass player. You're on your way right uh, now because they needed a bass player. So it's obviously still working. I mean, unfortunately, I have to suffer through all the memes of people poking fun at, you know, <laughs> the bass player. But actually, I love them. I, I pass them on to other bass players I know. We get a good laugh out of some of them. <laughs> um. When you were growing up and your older brother was playing all this music for you, I have this theory about music that there's the music you get gifted 
by the older brother, the cool uncle, your parents. And yep. then there's a day that you declare your music independence and you say, I just discovered this. This is mine. So what was it for you that was music that you found that Jim or nobody else exposed you to? Do you remember what that was? I, I'll tell you the one concert I went to that changed my life and said, okay, what those guys are doing up there, that I, I want to do that, okay? I went to the Boston Garden in 1981 and saw Van Halen on the Fair Warning Tour. My brother wasn't a Van Halen fan. He didn't ever expose me to Van Halen. Of course, you know, it was on the radio and stuff, but it wasn't until like 81 that I saw them in person. And that concert just absolutely blew my mind. I was like, that's it. I want to be a rock star. I want to like play. I want to do what those guys are doing. And uh, so, yeah, that was kind of my uh, awakening, right? Right. I think you know, at that moment, July, 1981. When I talked to Nuno, he told me a story about the early days of extreme. And, uh, I think it was Dweezil Zappa brought him to a Van Halen rehearsal and he met Eddie and Eddie let him play his gear. And he was like, I'm finally my life's dream. I'm going to sound like Eddie Van Halen. And he was so sad because he was playing Eddie's guitar on Eddie's strings with his cables, his pedals, his amp, everything. And he's like, I still sounded like me. He's like, it was crushing. (laughs) Yeah. He has told me that story as well. Um, and, And that's true. You know, it's all in the fingers and it's all in the touch. You know, it's amazing. Well, that, um, that experience got me asking guitar players about tone. And they'll get into the minutia about the strings or the, you know, the tube and the amp or whatever. But most musicians will tell me exactly what you're saying, that it's all about the fingers and the touch. Yeah. Yeah, no, it really is. Um, and, uh, yeah, that, that was a surreal experience for me as well because I, I got to go hang out at 5150 when Gary joined Van Halen for that ill-fated, uh, you know, that, that, that Van Halen three record. Um, they invited me up to the studio and I got to hang out there for like a week and really got to know Eddie quite well. Um, and that was a trip for me because again, I, I, you know, when I was at the Boston garden in 1981, I never would have imagined, you know, having a, an invitation to come up to the studio and, and be on a first name basis with those guys. And, uh, you know, I was told, Gary, you joined my favorite fucking band. I mean, how, how is this possible? <laughs> you know? Kevin Martin from Candlebox so. told me a great story that he got paired up with Eddie Van Halen in a golf foursome unexpectedly one day. That, like, he oh, they wow. said, Eddie is going to be our fourth. And, like, why would you assume when someone says Eddie that it's Eddie Van Halen? I have to tell you something. Something just flipped me the fuck out. I'm driving on Route 1, there's a car right in front of me, and I swear to God, the license plate holder, the thing that goes around the license plate, is Van Halen's stripe. Red, <laughs> black, and white. As we're sitting here talking about Van Halen. I'm not kidding you. So whoever has the Dodge 2XAN91, that is fucking badass. That is so funny. <laughs> Well, Kevin Martin told I, me that he spent that whole morning in a golf cart with Eddie Van Halen. And Eddie Van Halen talked about that record with Gary Sharon, And he was really sad about it and said that um, 
that that those songs were just poorly executed, that he was really proud of the songs he made with Gary and that he was really sad that um, that the magic of the songs they wrote together weren't captured properly on the album. So I thought that was really cool yeah. that he said that. Oh, yeah. No, he definitely loved that record. I mean, he, uh, you know, it, it was, uh, I think that record, Eddie had a lot more to say that, you know, he, he didn't really have a producer in his face for that record. And I think he, he, um, he went a little bit over the deep end on, on like the arrangements and just kind of doing what he wanted. Um, you know, cause he always had like, you know, the previous records, uh, you know, producer was much more involved and the, the singers had a lot more input as far as, you know, uh, or, or, or uh, like, I think he was on a lot longer leash, put it that way. Yeah. And so maybe it wasn't as well received as, as you know, what people were used to hearing from Van Halen. Well, that comes up a lot on the show, too, because I don't have musical ability and I can't write songs as hard as I have tried in the past. And it floors me the trust you have to have with a producer to come in and basically be the one that you pay to tell you your baby's ugly. But that's basically their job is to be that outside voice to say, right. well, this doesn't work and maybe you should try this. That that level of trust with that person, um, that relationship is kind of amazing to me. Yeah, I mean, sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't, you know. And then, you know, producers will oftentimes are like a between band members and they're you know they're an, an uh, objective listener that that you know they, they may say something that you think is the greatest thing in the world they'll say is you know shit rubbish but then you may play something that you didn't really think was that special and they're like oh my god what's that thing you just played right there that's amazing let's turn that into something so it is it's interesting how there can be an objective ear like that um but yeah, that's kind of their role. I just can't imagine pouring the pain and agony and emotion of like some really personal thing in my life into a song and having a person go, yeah, no, not working for me. I don't know how you don't kill that person. <laughs> yeah, well, sometimes that happens too, you know. <laughs> when you're talking about songwriting and stuff, I started asking people this question because I'm so envious of the craft of songwriting and so everybody, you know, we can have all the debates, right? About greatest guitar player, favorite song, best album, blah, blah, blah. This is from a songwriter's perspective. Can you give me an example or two of any genre, any artist, and give me a song that you think is a perfect example of great songwriting? Like, it's so good and well-crafted that you wish you wrote it. But then you got to tell me why uh, from a musical perspective. Okay, so um, I have to tip my hat. Obviously, I'm a big Eagles fan, having formed an Eagles tribute band. Um, there are certain songs that the Eagles have written, both you know the composition of it, the harmonies, the lyrics. Um, you know, there's a, uh, and they peaked on Hotel California, so it, it's hard to go you know, to make an argument that you listen to the song Hotel, the title track, Hotel California, and just lyrically how it can take you to uh, to a place. Um, musically, 
how um you know the structure of the song and obviously the guitar solo at the end that everyone can air guitar to i mean it's like one of the perfect songs for those reasons you know and, and uh there's another song new kid in town that's on that album that is just absolutely songwriting magic um they 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 uh have such great hooks and the lyrics are awesome and then they have like this turn that that like it, it changes keys and there's a modulation and like some of the songwriting techniques really take you to like it adds like this whole excitement and and kind of uh you know it, it takes a, a little bit of a left turn where you didn't expect it to um and so you know for me some of those songs are, are masterfully written um and you know of course it's it's mind-boggling to think of the Beatles' uh, whole catalog, and of course, you know that's that's an easy thing to to just point your finger and go, oh, everyone's going to say the Beatles. But yeah, but there's when you there's so those, many examples, though. Uh, and when you think how they they went from like the Love Me Do to the era to like Strawberry Fields or something in such a short period of time, and took a whole generation of people with them, and they were only in their twenties. When you think of the 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 hit after hit you know, those, those guys were super young when they were doing that. And of course, George Martin was an amazing producer that they, they just worked well together. And, and he came up with a lot of the uh, instrumentation and some of the stuff in those songs that, um, that, you know, he, he was like the fifth Beatles. They, they, you know, you, you can see all the documentaries about that stuff. Um, but to me, that, that catalog is untouchable. Did you, know? you watch that Abbey Road docuseries, the Peter Jackson thing? Oh, yeah. Dude, when you're sitting yeah. there watching <laughs> Paul McCartney and you know the lyric that he hasn't thought of yet, I was yeah. like, oh, <laughs> my God. I know. I know. When he was writing Get Back, you, you just like had like goosebumps going, holy shit, I just watched the birth of that song. Yeah. It's insane. Yeah. And I, it, it was crazy. I love the McCartney... Uh, Three, two, one thing that he did with Rick Rubin too, which was just totally different in the way that they analyze the individual tracks of songs. Yeah, well, I didn't, I didn't, I actually missed that. I haven't seen that, but um, I can only imagine. Paul McCartney said something that, that it totally changed the way I list because I am when, when people ask me what my favorite band is, I say the Beatles every time. They're just I look at that as one of the greatest gifts my mother ever gave me. Because she loved the Beatles and passed that love on to me. And Paul McCartney kind of analyzed why the Lennon-McCartney songwriting partnership worked. And I brought it up on the show before. He, He cited the difference in upbringings, in family parental upbringings as why their Mm. partnership because Paul McCartney's music was happy in melody and positive in lyrical content because he grew up in an idyllic kind of middle class family that was um, functional and John Lennon grew up in a dysfunctional kind of broken home and so his melodies were sad and his lyrics were were sad and and um, cynical and depressing, and so as Paul McCartney's telling Rick Rubin this, this like light bulb went off in my head because the reason why their songs work is that on a happy Paul McCartney melody, there's sad and cynical John Lennon lyrics, and then vice versa. 
Yeah, true. And when I went and then, back you know, and listened, I was like, holy shit, that was there the whole time, and I never, I never picked up on it. And then they had parts of songs that were just like, you know, one guy wrote one bit of the song and the other guy wrote the other bit. And when they put them together, sometimes, you know, there were two different songs, but they, they blended them into one. And you're like, it takes twists and turns, like within the song. Yeah. To, to, to your very point, you know, um, it can go from a happy place to a sad place or a cynical place, like in a, in a drop of a hat, you know. I talked to Sully from Godsmack about the Bernie Toppin, Elton John dynamic. And like, I, I don't know any other songwriter or musician that would be able to function within the confines of having someone hand you finished lyrics and have no input on the melody and vice versa. Like that to me, that relationship, I just don't understand it. And and every other songwriter I've ever talked to is like, don't know how you do that. Yeah, that is kind of an odd one. Um, a, a, a strange uh, relationship, but hey, it, it worked for those guys all these years. Did you discover so. anything new about the Eagles catalog when the Dark Desert Eagles started and you started really digging into the catalog? Did you discover songs that you in the in the time when they came out like kind of missed? Well, you know, I, I was, uh, you know, I bought the album the long run like literally walked into the record store when it came out and um i at the time i had had the greatest hits record but um i didn't have a lot of the rest of the catalog uh you know i didn't have the records i just basically had the greatest hits then i had the long run and then obviously sometimes you know you have those experiences where you you get into one record and then you start you know delving back into the the stuff that you hadn't heard yet and um Obviously, Hotel California was, you know, their their biggest record, except for the. Uh, do you know that the greatest hits in Hotel California are the number one and number three best selling albums of all time? Yeah, it's insane. It's like one out of every six people on the planet has a copy of that. Yeah, and, and like to think that the, the Eagles' greatest hits is the best selling album of all time, and it doesn't even have Hotel California on it. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's unbelievable. So, um, I don't know, you know, I, I think as time went on, I, I, you know, and, and I have a box set and stuff, um, a lot of the early stuff, um, you know, there was stuff that was filler on there. Um, but obviously they had those, you know, that they struck gold with a, a handful of, uh, massive hits that, that, you know, they just couldn't be denied. Um, and they ended up being one of the biggest bands on the planet. And you can't deny the success that the individual band members had outside of the Eagles, too. It's it's insane. Yeah, of course. Joe Walsh's career, um, you know, Glenn Fry had, had a handful of hits after the Eagles. Uh, Don Henley obviously had the most hits of anybody after the Eagles. Uh, but, yeah, it, it's, it's incredible the, the amount of, uh, you know, talent in that band. And, and they had five lead singers in the band, you know. It was just, it's, it's, it's mind boggling. Most bands can't survive one lead singer. <laughs> well, I think maybe that's why they didn't get along. <laughs> <laughs> they were notorious for infighting and, you know, all that shit. Um, but yeah, it, it's tough. I, yeah, I can't imagine having four or five lead singers. It's bad enough. Now, actually, Gary's the easiest lead singer you'd ever, uh, you'd ever run into. Sweetest sweetest guy now 
Yeah, it it really you did really luck out with, you know, with with the singer you got. Not only can he still hit all the notes, and he's still an amazing, captivating frontman, but he's never been a dick. Exactly. Yep he's he's just uh, he's one of a kind, and, and you know. All the all the heat he took for in that Van Halen thing, it used to just piss me off so much because people didn't know uh, what a, what a sweetheart of a guy is. Now you're going to be in town a bunch, so let's run down the shows. This Saturday, June 25th, you're going to be at Indian Ranch with Dark Desert Eagles. The Dark Desert Correct. Eagles next month, July 22nd, will be at the Hampton Beach Casino, and then which the, happens to be my birthday, July 22nd. Yeah, I'm playing on my birthday. Oh, shit. Oh, yeah. It's about to get real. <laughs> yeah. That, that's going to be a fun one. And then Extreme oh. has got a bunch of shows all in a row in early September. Extreme's going to be an Indian Ranch on September 3rd. The Hampton Beach Casino Ballroom on September... Uh, no, Indian Ranch on September 2nd, Hampton on September 3rd, and then this little gig with this little band at this little venue on September 8th. Yeah, that one I have circled on my calendar um, because it is going to be a special night uh, as long as it, it ends up happening. I'm trying not to get too excited about it only because it was supposed to happen uh, in 2020, and then it got... Um, postponed to 21 and now it's scheduled for september 8th and we are supposed to be opening direct support for a little band called aerosmith at, <laughs> at this little venue called this little venue called fenway park um and you know covid had a different plan for it in 2020 and now that it's it's coming up it's creeping up and then you know a couple of weeks ago they announced that steven tyler is uh canceling a bunch of dates and going into rehab. So I'm like, okay, I think the show's cursed. It's never going to happen. So I'm trying not to get too uh, excited about it in case it doesn't happen. Well, everything that I've read that the band has said is that Steven's doing great in treatment. It was a voluntary thing after his surgery and that the shows in September are still going to happen. So I'm counting on it that it's going to happen. And we're going to get a super healthy Steven Tyler, which... That's the best Steven Tyler there is. Yeah, that's that's everything I heard too. So as far as I know, the show's on, um, and um, I, I I'm not I don't I don't think I'm supposed to announce this, but just just keep your eye out for them. There may be another date in and around there that that Extreme's going to be playing. Interesting. Um, that's that's all that's all I can say about that. That's very interesting. <laughs> it could you have imagined that you know being the kid at the garden watching Van Halen that a they'd allow concerts at Fenway Park and b that you'd be opening up for Aerosmith there like it's kind of insane. It is really insane. I mean, of course, you know when I was growing up in the in the seventies, Aerosmith. Um, they were like, you know, Boston gods to, to us. Uh, but then, as we all know, they kind of faltered there and they had some, you know, substance abuse issues. They had uh, band member changes and all that stuff. So I never really saw them back in the heyday. Um, not until they they did their big, you know, comeback in the 80s. 
um, you know, with permanent vacation and pump and all that stuff. And then, you know, extreme toured with them for a while. We, we did a, a couple of runs with Aerosmith. So it was, a uh, that was pretty surreal. And, and I have to say, I've, you know, I, I've at least on the bucket list, I've checked off the box of opening for Aerosmith and we've opened for them in some soccer stadiums, like over in Europe, like huge crowds. Um, but the idea of playing at Fenway Park and having our friends and family and stuff there is just, it's going to be an epic night. And, uh, you know, obviously, you know, the, the, the gig of the year that I'm just circled on the calendar, like I can't wait for that, that show. I'm not, I'm not wishing summer to be over by any means, but I'm definitely looking forward to that, that date. I got to interview the Foo Fighters when they played at Fenway. And I don't know if I was more excited to interview the Foo Fighters or to interview the Foo Fighters in the Red Sox locker room. And I walked in and I was like, oh, my God. And Dave Grohl was like, you've never been in here. And I was like, why would I have ever been allowed in here? (laughs) Like, (laughs) this is the Red Sox dressing. Like, why would I be in the locker room of the Sox? Are you kidding me? He's like, you want to go through the drawers? I I was like, yes, I do. (laughs) Uh, that's great. Of course I do. Yeah, no, it would be, you know, it's kind of for us, um, it, it is surreal. Because Extreme started in uh, in Kenmore Square, you know, playing the Rat and, and at Narcissus and Celebration, all those all those places. And, and so to, to finally uh, step foot on that field um, and, and play to that audience, it's just, it's, it's surreal. Don't forget about the legendary gig you did. In 1987 at Lemonster High School. Okay, because I was there, Pat. Don't take that away from me. <laughs> Lemonster High, huh? Yes, I still have the you shirt. Know? Isn't that great? Don't take about, that away uh, from don't me. The, don't forget the legendary softball game we played. That was the first day of my internship at WAF, July 1st, 1991. Still have the shirt. Amazing. Yeah. I wish I still had the shirt. I still have but mine. Yeah, we, we played, we played, I remember, AAF versus Extreme. And uh, I brought a couple of my high school buddies that actually play softball as, as ringers for the team. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's not like, you know, we're not athletic guys in Extreme, but I'm like, I better bring a couple of guys that can, like, put the ball over the, over the uh, <laughs> center field wall. Okay. Yeah, well, that's what the crowd wants, right? And you can't you can't yeah. get beat by a bunch of fat radio DJs. It just looks bad. <laughs> but yeah, truth be told, after all these years, I'm confessing to you that I had a couple of ringers on the team. Oh, uh, we! I had a feeling. It's like, wait, that guy's not in the band. He just plays the triangle. Oh, okay. Yeah, no, that's one of our roadies. Yeah, yeah no, exactly. Never equipment. Yeah, <laughs> this is my high school buddies. <laughs> Well, I know I'm going to see you a bunch this summer and in the fall because you got all these gigs coming up. So I'm happy that, A, shows are happening again, and, B, that you're going to be around a ton because I can't wait to see you. I, I hope you come out to some of these shows. Oh, I definitely will be. I definitely will be. Maybe I'll sing Happy Birthday to you up at Hampton because, you know, the vocal stylings of this velvety voice that I have singing Happy Birthday, it's the thing of legends, Pat. Do you still have the purple hair? Come on. Of course I do. Well, I don't know. Does, it change? 
All right. Well, I didn't know if it changed to another shade of, you know, like, no. you know, some people when they color their hair. Yeah, so it's always, it's still purple. When I launched the podcast and mistresscarry.com and all that, I had all new logos made. And mm-hmm. that's part of the logo now. And let me give you a little secret. You, you confessed about the ringers on the softball team. If mm-hmm. your logo is you and your purple hair, your hairdresser becomes a tax deduction. Ah. Who's the dummy See, now, a, Pat? That's, that's a nice little trick there. <laughs> I see what you're doing there. So, yeah, the hair's still purple, and I'm going to be that 80-year-old lady with the purple hair that just people are like, she must be insane, and the answer will be, yeah, she is. I love it. Why change? I love it. Why change? Yeah. You got you got something working for you. Why, why, you know, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Exactly. That's what I'm saying. Uh, I'll know whether you if you're there or if you're just lying to me saying you're not. You're coming to the show. You don't show up because <laughs> it's hard to miss the purple hair. Okay. <laughs> I will be there for sure. <laughs> I will be there for sure. Enjoy right. your enjoy so, your yeah. flight to Cleveland. I hope they don't lose your baggage. Nope, I got my Apple Air tags all in those bags and in my my base guitar case, and uh, yeah, it should be fun. We're playing at the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, so um, I've been there once before, but it's always fun, you know, going through that place. And that, oh. That's a trip in and of itself. You know? Hell yeah, they've got some really, really cool artifacts, and um, you know, th- there aren't a lot of reasons to go to Cleveland. That's one of them. Yeah. I mean, I don't know if you remember going back to the Beatles. Um, you know, they have like John Lennon's outfit from Sgt. Pepper's in there, like the green satin outfit. Yeah. Stuff, and you're like, wow, I can't believe I'm standing next to this thing, you know. I know. Um, I know. It but is yeah, really I'm cool. I'm looking forward to going up. Yeah. Did, well, you, did you ever go on Johnny Cash's bus? No. Store bus? No. Yeah. They, they had that parked outside, which is pretty cool. I don't know if they still have that, but that that's. Just to walk into a tour bus from back in, you know, the 60s or 70s, whenever that he had that bus, it was interesting to see, uh, you know, similar to, to cars, you know, how, how you know, it's like an old classic car, but a tour bus, you know. Well, um, it's, it's so, crazy yeah, like to me how much that stuff sells for at auction. Like, did you see the guitar that Kurt Cobain played in the Smells Like Teen Spirit video? It just sold at auction for four and a half million dollars. I heard about that. Yeah. It's crazy. Well, it is insane. But hey, somebody out there got that kind of money and wanted to to have it. So all the power to them. Yeah. You it's, know, people pay hundreds of thousands of dollars for baseball or whatever. You I know. know. You're like, all right. Well, <laughs> I don't get deep pockets like that. I mean, you know, whatever. Yeah. You got to feed the alpacas. The only b- baseball I can afford is Dick Sporting Goods, you know? <laughs> Well, you could probably steal a couple at Fenway in September. Maybe. You got to ask them to let point. you in the batter's box, man. Bring your friends from high school, those ringers from the AAF game. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah, no, it's going to be a trip to be in there. So everyone, fingers crossed that that, that show's going to happen. I that'll can't be, wait. Uh, it's going to be awesome. Be yeah. yeah. Well, have fun navigating the All rest right. of Route 1 and the rest of Logan Airport. Enjoy that. <laughs> Thank you very much. We'll catch up with you soon. It's been great talking to you, Carrie. 
There he is, Pat Badger from Extreme, and yes, he made it to the airport just fine. You can see him with his band, the Dark Desert Eagles, coming up this Saturday, June 25th at Indian Ranch in Webster, Massachusetts. They're also going to be at the Hampton Beach Casino on July 22nd, and then all of those extreme gigs at Indian Ranch and Webster on September 2nd, the Hampton Beach Casino Ballroom on September 3rd, and at Fenway Park with Aerosmith on September 8th. Check the show notes for the links to all of the shows so you can get tickets, and they're all featured on the events calendar at mistresscarry.com. Also linked in the show notes is the corresponding playlist for this episode. I make a playlist for every full-length episode of the Mistress Carrie podcast that's filled not only with my guest music, but all of the music that we talked about in the interview. You'll also find links to find Pat Badger online, the Dark Desert Eagles online, Extreme online, and you'll find all of my social links as well. If you liked what you heard, don't forget to like and subscribe to the Mistress Carrie podcast. New full-length episodes come out every Wednesday, plus every weekday you get the sit rep. The Situation Report is all of your rock news, music headlines, and industry info in less than five minutes. The Mistress Carrie Podcast, a proud member of the Pantheon Podcast Network. This episode is sponsored in part by Intuit. 70% of employers say recent graduates don't have the skills they need for today's jobs. That's why Intuit is helping prepare students to go from classrooms to careers. Their job readiness program helps students build financial literacy and entrepreneurial skills. Nationwide, they've helped prepare over half a million students for jobs and are on track to help 3 million more by 2024. Learn how Intuit is helping students in L.A. build a brighter future at Intuit.com slash job readiness. Picture your best day ever at Universal Studios Hollywood. From the thrills of Jurassic World, the ride, to the laughter of Illuminations, the secret life of pets, and the excitement of the wizarding world of Harry Potter. Plus, even more mind-blowing attractions like the world-famous Studio Tour. Universal is always pushing the limits of absolute awesome to beyond awesome. Beyond amazing. Beyond anything else in L.A. Enjoy it all again and again with an annual pass. For more details, visit UniversalStudiosHollywood.com slash APFlexPay. With one of the best savings rates in America, banking with Capital One is the easiest decision in the history of decisions. Even easier than choosing Slash to be in your band. Next up for lead guitar. You're in. Cool. (laughs) Yep, even easier than that. And with no fees or minimums on checking and savings accounts, is it even a decision? That's banking reimagined. What's in your wallet? Terms apply. See CapitalOne.com slash bank for details. Capital One and a member FDIC. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. 
That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. 